This morning, we're going to be picking back up in our study in Revelation. Uh, Ash said you were listening to the first couple, so we might be a little bit farther ahead than uh, what you've heard. But um, Revelation, the time is near, is the title of our series, because the time is near. The time is near. As we read in the scripture, as we pay attention to what's going on around us, it's evident that the time is near. And I'm not just talking about what's going on in America. That's separate. You know, I don't want to be so... U.S. centric that I think that just because America is falling apart, the Bible is, you know, the end of the world is happening. But I do think the two coincide um, to some degree. Uh, today we're going to be picking up and hopefully finishing chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 17. And the title of this morning's message is, Who is Able to Stand? Who is Able to Stand? As we read these things in the scripture, as we even heard the description of Jesus uh, in John's vision on the island of Patmos when he was transported in the spirit actually to heaven, I believe, to see these things. It wasn't just a vision. He went up there. Who's able to stand? When he heard Jesus' voice on the earth like a rushing water, like a mighty trumpet, he fell as if dead. When we read the things that are happening, who's able to stand? In fact, when we see uh, the way the world is falling apart around us, when we read what is done to children these days, how are we able to stand? Are we not driven to our knees? Are we not brokenhearted over things that happen? Or even to flip a table if we have to. And don't get me wrong. What I'm about to say doesn't mean that we don't need to take a stand or that we don't need to do what is right, or to speak the truth, even if it's politically incorrect. But we're to be caught up to heaven before the end of the world. We're not to be caught up in the causes of the world. The things that the world cares for are not the same things that you and I should care for. Doesn't mean that we don't have a 401k, doesn't mean that we don't enjoy sports or that we don't enjoy going to the park or watching a movie from time to time. But that's not our life. This is not our life. The world lives for these things. We've seen in the lockdowns, people have lost their minds because they can't go get a slice of pizza because that is their life. And trust me, pizza was my life growing up in the Northeast. And it's been very hard to let that part of me die out here. There's some good pizza. It's not the same. It's not, it's not the same. Because our goal is heaven. We are pilgrims and sojourners. Our work is to do the gospel. And there's no retirement from that work. Because truthfully, it should be rest, right? We read about the priests in the Bible. They wore the white garments. And it was a restful work. Because our lives, like we sang this morning about a sacrifice to God, is to lift him up. The things that we cared so much about in the world are to be burned up, that we might shine for him. And how much more so in this last time, when it's evident that the things we all lived for, the things we all wanted, you know, me and my, hey Dave, wanting the 1950s or 1980s, that's never coming back. That America is never coming back. Sure, I'll fight for it. Sure, I'll stand up for it. Sure, I'll desire and pray that America would repent. But deep down, I don't believe it's ever coming back. I don't, I'm not saying God's not going to have a revival in this country, but I think this country has seen its last day. The golden age is over. So I definitely can't live for that. So it's easy not to live for that anymore. But other things, not so much. 
We need to remember this, as we read uh, in a previous study, 1 John 5, 19 and 20. We know that we are of God. This is the same John. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And he was saying this 2,000 years ago. How much more so now? And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. The world right now is looking for eternal life and doing their own thing. Elevating their own true gods and knocking down gods that they believe are false gods. But we have an understanding that the world doesn't have. When the world doesn't understand what's going on, you and I, believer, even if we don't understand, we have a resource to go to to understand it. And more than a resource, a person. The very God who made this, who understands this, like it's no problem at all. It's no big deal at all. But previously in Revelation, we saw John the Island of Patmos reveal Jesus in glory. Um, I encourage you... Uh, Go back and read at least the first five chapters of Revelation and see what happens there. Uh, we saw the seven churches, the seven lampstands, seven stars, seven messages of churches. You know, they were churches in that day, historical churches, but I also believe seven types of churches, uh, t even in our day. Um, we know that at least one may not even be guaranteed of the rapture. Uh, scroll was written on both sides in heaven, sealed seven times. Uh, and no one in, uh, in heaven or under heaven or under the earth could open it, and John wept over this. We talked about in that study, like, are we weeping over these things to know the will of God, to know that the hidden things of God that, that God wants to make revealed, but man, maybe we just don't know it because we haven't really wept over the things of God before. We saw the lamb in the midst of the throne who appeared as if he was slain. He had seven horns, seven eyes, and only he was worthy to open that scroll. We, we looked at how it wasn't about strength, that there was a mighty angel who couldn't do it, but this lamb who was slain was worthy to do it. We know that the number seven, if we studied in the Bible, is a number of completion and a number of perfection. And two verses here, Psalm 40, verse 7, says, Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. In Hebrews 10, 7, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do your will, O God that we remember that Revelation is Jesus revealed, that this very scroll that only he was worthy to open, although judgments come out of it, it speaks of Jesus. It reveals who Jesus is to a sinful world, to a world that is set in their ways, that has rejected the cross for 2,000 years, and has more than just rejected it, not wanted their life, but vehemently went against it and claimed that it was wickedness. God says, I am now revealed in judgment and these things are right they're true and more of all we know that God's not just judging them it's not like God's just beating them up and we don't see an opportunity for salvation we'll see today that people do get saved in this time we remember that the heart of God that this last God could have just said okay that's enough and wiped everybody out but he gives them this time in revelation to repent seven years of the worst times ever why to repent because as bad as it's going to be it's not as bad as hell and as bad as Hitler was, hell is so much worse, God doesn't even want Hitler to go to hell because hell is so bad. And we don't get that. How, how can a loving God do that? Well, God doesn't send anyone to hell. 
And even at the end of the world, he's so gracious and merciful, even in his judgment. Because he's the only one who can really carry out God's will. You and I, even though we're believers in our own flesh, we cannot carry out God's will. We cannot accomplish the Spirit's will in our flesh. It has to be done by God's Spirit. And the only one who's worthy to do this is Jesus. Because no one else is, could do this justly, rightly, and holy, holyly. But we know that there's seven seals, and then we're going to follow with seven trumpets and seven bowl judgments. Uh, there's a chart in the notes for the previous part of chapter 6, if you're curious about that. Uh, there, you can download it on the website, resurrectionmontana.org. Uh, but these are all related. Um, you know, I'm no Revelation scholar, but Revelation is near and dear to my heart. And, uh, you know, I was thinking this morning as, as I was getting my keys and heading down the house, like, what an honor and privilege it is to be able to share and hopefully teach some bit of revelation to you guys and to anyone who's listening and to be able to even study it myself. Like we said, anyone who reads, hears, and keeps this word will be blessed, right? And what a blessing it is that this book that God used throughout my entire life to try and get my attention and finally get my attention and bring me to him and wake me up to the way the world is, to now be able to stand here before you and go through it with you. Um, I, I don't take it lightly, and, and yet um, I'm excited about it. And, but in that sense, I'm not the, the biggest scholar on it, but I do, I have been through it. And I believe that there's some overlap, as we're going to see the way the trumpets and bowls and um, uh, the seals play out. Um, even the fact that, you know, if we're going to get metaphysical and scientific on it, how can we even begin to think we can understand how eternity works, right? Because John is 2,000 years ago. He's taken up into heaven in eternity. He sees the things that happen in the future, even our future, right? And so, again, a lot of things that he's going to describe are going to be, he's just trying to do his best to describe them. So, uh, they're open for some interpretation. But if he's jumped outside of time and been there, and we talk about people being raptured and the dead in Christ arise first and meeting there, you know, it's a whole other study. I have to wonder, you know, we kind of look at it like, is it sequential? I think there's definitely a lot of overlap, as we'll see. I almost feel like the first seven seals are kind of like the overview. And then in some sense, when you get to the next judgments, you get tighter, closer looks, little, you know, almost microscopic zooming into certain periods in this time. Um, and again, even then, Revelation is not the complete picture of the end times. You have to look at Ezekiel and Daniel and other scriptures to see specific things, very clear things about how the Antichrist works, what happens with the enemy, um, you know, the way the temple is built, all this other stuff that we'll see um, in the rest of scripture. But with that, we can understand what Revelation says. It explains it to us. It shows us it is understandable. But we have to kind of take a step back and kind of let it speak to us and not get so close to it that we miss the point of it. The first four seals, as known, uh, you know, even in pop culture, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So you got the four horses, one, two, three, four, the four seals. Um, but uh, as I think I got it from Chuck Missler, he talks about there's the fifth horseman that's never talked about. And that's Jesus at the end. He comes back on a horse. And we come back on a horse. So there's millions of horsemen. But the first four are the ones in the, in the first seals. And I think what's always missed is that Jesus is the one who says, okay, go. He breaks the seal, this person is loosed, and power is given to them. The first one, the white horse, um, uh, you know, a kingly symbol, a rider with a bow and a crown. He's a conqueror with peace. 
He's the Antichrist. He's the, uh, the final version of the Antichrist, the one who will try and unite the whole world. Uh, we'll see in other areas of scripture, you know, it's not this utopia. There's backlash, kings rise against them, there's an assassination attempt. But he tries to conquer with peace. He promises peace to the whole world. And why would the whole world need peace? Well, look around us right now. The whole world is going to be crying out. If they're not crying out now, they're going to be crying out in a couple more years of this. And it says, First uh, Thessalonians 5, 1-3, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon our pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. That when people clamor for peace and safety, and they try and without the Lord, they don't get peace and safety. What do we get? We get more laws. We get having to go through the airport, and we get treated like criminals, and not the actual criminal. You know, But that's exactly what happens here. They, peace and safety under our new world leader. This guy is wonderful. He's fantastic. He speaks everything we want to hear. But what happens? The second seal, a fiery red horse goes out, and the rider is given a large sword. It's not that he had a large sword. It's that God gives this rider power. What? To remove all this promised peace from the earth rather quickly. This doesn't take seven years to happen. He takes over, and I think pretty much right away, after maybe a honeymoon week, the second rider comes out. There's war on the whole earth, and it's more than just war. It's more than just World War Z. It is violence between every man and every beast. And look at the world right now. You can't like read the news and read about just violence everywhere. And what did you say? As in the days of Noah. There was violence everywhere then too. And this really, to me, echoes the effects of sin in the garden. Remember that the serpent promised peace to Eve. He promised her enlightenment. He said, get woke, Eve. Be like, you can be like God. But how? All by disobeying God and trusting in the serpent. And then all of a sudden, all this sin and death and murder, Cain and Abel comes rushing in, this nakedness. Why? Because they trusted. They, she wanted peace. She didn't have this peace. There was this temptation. And instead of trusting in God's word for peace, she trusted in Satan's word to her. Then we saw the third rider, the black horse, the pair of scales. Uh, which was, well, what happens after war, especially a worldwide war with every power, with violence in the streets and no safety? Well, this, this horse has a pair of scales. This rider has a pair of scales, excuse me. Um, you know, like you might measure in a market. You might measure in an economy. This is worth this much. So what do we see? We see crazy famine, economic depression, like never before, the depression of all depressions, rationing of basic daily necessities, you work all day, you get a loaf of bread. Luxurious goods hoarded by the rich. We already see that today. Rich building bunkers even today. Selling their stocks prior to the virus. Those congressmen getting in trouble. I knew if I had any stock, I would have sold it. I knew it was coming. So I knew it was coming in January. So to tell me that the government had no idea that this was going to reach our shores. Uh, no. Somebody there, and even if they didn't believe it, somebody there was, was sounding the alarm. But we know that there, you know, there's types of fulfillment in history. Even when you remember back to uh, times in Joseph's day, right? That there was this huge famine that was going to come, and Egypt had to prepare for it. And God sent Joseph to get Egypt, an ungodly world, prepared for something. God wanted to save the ungodly world to save his people. And that was sort of a picture, but there's no Joseph in this time. They rejected the Joseph, Jesus. 
We know that Hitler, Stalin, Alexander the Great, Caesar, Nimrod, all these characters in history are all types of the Antichrist. And I believe Satan's tried to use them to set up a global kingdom, but it wasn't time yet. He was restrained from doing that. Hitler was restrained by what? A nation that at least nominally was godly, that went and at least nominally rescued the Jews, even if we did it for selfish motive or whatever, because we had to at the very last minute. We still rescued God's people, and I believe that there was a blessing on us because of that. But the same goes for world events. There's going to be similar patterns throughout history. Birth pangs, you know, like Braxton Hicks contractions, where it's not a real contraction, but it feels like it, throughout all of history, until finally, whoop, here's the last one. With the fourth rider, the fourth seal, was pale green. It's actually a corpse color, you know, like a, de a dead body. And it's interesting that here we get two proper nouns, two proper names on this horse. Uh, the, the rider was death, capital D, death. And hell followed after. I just picture the rider death, you know, like the typical comic book with the sickle and the hat and on the, you know, going. And then behind him, like a big bulldozer with a big bucket was hell with its mouth wide open, scooping up all the people that death was harvesting in. And well, what happens after all this world war, this economic depression, famine? Well, as much as we don't like to believe it could happen here, death, disease, uh, famine. All these things are really the, can be the effects of war, can be the effects of economic, you know, strife and troubles and fraud, right? All these things happen, right? The stock market crashed and people were homeless in the 30s. But I believe that this is more than just a practical fallout from this. Yes, that's part of it, but this is, I mean, it's not even hard to see. It's the, a rider went out. I don't think there was a horse and a rider leaving heaven in 1929. That was a practical thing. This is a spiritual, that this death, this famine, the people that are going to die in this time, it's more than just practical. This is a spiritual thing. This is like, you know, the effect should only have been this big, but instead it's this big. We talked about even the beasts of the earth. You know, is there people not sheltered and animals and all this stuff? But I've also heard uh, a thing, and I, I would even see it that way. Beasts, you know, viruses, bacteria. These little beasts that we can't see that come around and kill. And well, of course it happens when you don't have sanitary conditions. But I think even more, we get more and more viruses all the time. We're even making viruses. I'd even surmise to say that we meddled with this thing that's around right now. We took a couple and stuffed them together and we have what we have. But this is going to be far worse than even the worst virus we have today. But today we're going to look at the fifth and sixth seals, the fifth one being the martyrs, those who die for Jesus in this time, and signs uh, in the sky. And Lord, we pray that God, you would, by your spirit, reveal your word to us, teach us all, let us see you revealed in revelation but god that you would come back soon but in that time that people would hear your word would come to faith uh, god before it is too late uh, and even if they have to get scared to come to heaven that's fantastic because that fear will drive them to you and they'll see that wow you really saved them from more you know sometimes it takes that fear of judgment for us to do the right thing god so let that be so in our lives and in the world around us bless our town our neighbors and all those who are here in jesus name so let's read, um, we're going to take it actually in three chunks this morning, even though there's only two seals. So the first one we're going to look at is Revelation 6, uh, verses 9 um, through 11. The Bible says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls 
of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Uh, and I almost titled the message, Rest a Little While Longer. And, you know, I think that's great for us believers. We can rest a little while longer in Jesus until he comes back. But I think the overarching message of Revelation is not one of rest. You know, it's, we'll see at the end that there is a rest to get to, but we've got to go through a hard time first. But we know that Jesus opens the fifth seal, and we're really into it at this point. There's no turning back. These seals, once they're broken... They are broken, they are unleashed on the earth, and there, there's no stopping it. And I, I think sometimes that's you know, a way with judgment of God works. In the past, God has relented. God relented on Nineveh, right? You know, Moses uh, pleaded for Israel. Abraham pleaded for uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. But what did God do? God got Lot out because he was really the only righteous one there. His family wasn't righteous. But his family was saved because he was righteous, right? But God didn't relent at the flood. He gave them time. He gave them 120 years while Noah built that boat. He said, Noah, what are you doing? You're an idiot. And then one day, the rains came down, and they were banging on his door. But it was too late. And this time, this is it. The fountains of the earth, are, so to speak, have opened, and the floodwaters have started gushing out. And it's not going to stop. Now, you know, just like we reviewed a lot that has happened already, all that's changed. You know, there's rapture, tentative globalism, World War X, all these things. That's heavy. John doesn't get a break. He looks. He sees these things happen in history, in the future history. And then he has to look again, and look again, and look again. And sometimes you feel like that. You read the news, it's like, oh, 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 oh. Sometimes you get the bills in the mail. It's, uh, 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 you know, like, I can't get a rest. I, gotta, I keep looking at these bills coming in. That, and who gets the blame in this time? It's not the politician. It's not their sin. It's not those responsible. Who gets the blame? Christians. They don't believe in God. So they blame people who believe in God. They don't blame the Muslims. They don't blame the Buddhists. They blame Christians. The Christians, and it's not just those who don't go along with the government on earth. There's going to be people who resist, who don't go along with the final world government. I'm sure they have trouble too, but they're not persecuted like the Christians. And this is going to be a time unlike any other. You know, the age of grace, the church age is over. The church is in heaven. Holy Spirit has said, okay, have your way. This is different. People are still coming to faith, and I believe some, uh, maybe either from that church that was left behind that didn't repent, not all of them. Perhaps uh, some are Jewish people, and we know we do see that, that God you know, uh, still loves the Jewish people. We are grafted in, right? I believe it's also some people who we share with now but are on the fence. You know, I remember sharing with my friends after getting saved that, you know, if I get raptured, you know, it's real. That's why. They thought I was nuts, and of course, you know, you say to someone, they're going to think you're nuts. 
I know one day, I pray, that happens, that my friends who I said that to will go, and think, they're not already believers. But this time is even different more than that. It's not a pleasant trip to church on a beautiful Sunday morning like we had today. I believe the very reality, just like Jesus is being revealed, the very depths of sin, the very truth of holiness and righteousness and judgment as it's being revealed, so is the depth of what true faith is and what our faith really is. In America, we can live, and I'm saying this for myself too, we can live in comfort, we can expose a little bit of our faith, but we don't really worry about dying for our faith. But people around the world do today worry about that, do think about that, do embrace it. But in this time, there's not going to be a choice. That's going to be everywhere. The depth of our faith, the real choice of what we made, the choice to set Jesus is the choice between what? Life and death. And that is ultimately revealed here in Revelation. The Christians will hide for their lives. They're going to be martyred left and right. But it's, not, it's going to be over one day. We look today, Christians in the Middle East, Eastern Europe, Asia, Persecuted. You'll catch glimpses of the news, but no one really cares. Beheaded under Muslim rule. They're chased out, arrested, persecuted by the People's Republic. That sounds good, right? Of China. It's communism. Churches are burned in Africa, India, Pakistan. And does anyone care? That's been the same thing throughout all history. Roman, uh, they persecuted Christians. They, you know, they put them in the Coliseum. They fought them. They arrested them. Paul even did it. It's nothing new. But again, this is going to be different. And even in our own country, we don't think it can happen here, but America doesn't stand much for Christians anymore. Persecutions are already here on our home front. We even see even amongst this quote-unquote Black Lives Matter movement, they've now started tearing down statues of Jesus and statues of Mary. And, you know, Mary's Jesus' mother is not holy, but the fact is that's what they're attacking. Christianity, the foundations of our nation. Went from getting sued for baking a cake, for not baking a cake, to being in trouble for homeschooling. And I believe in vaccinations at the right time, but if you stand if you believe that and you go long enough with it, they'll take your kids away in certain states. They're removing religious exemptions. The things that are being taught to kindergartners in the government schools. That's why I don't send my kids to government school. It's not because of the unbelieving kids around them. It's because of the doctrines of demons that are being taught to them from their teachers. To comedy, Christians are fair game. A cult, like Mormonism, is lifted up. They're the new Christians of America. That They're respected. The Supreme Court's recent ruling, you know, you can listen to the two-part message from last week. It's quickly turning. We are not in favor in this country anymore. And the way things are going, they'll be coming for you and me next. Because what do we stand for? You're a bigot. No, I don't hate you. Things are ramping up. And you know what? This is just pregame warm-up. This will be state-sanctioned, populist-approved, full-on hunting season of believers everywhere in every nook and cranny during the tribulation. You're walking down the street, you see a believer, you can probably kill him, and you're not going to get arrested for it. In fact, you'll probably get an award and be on TV or YouTube. But number one, they are persecuted for what? The word of God. That this persecution is partly the very fulfillment of God's word. 
that their persecution is what God planned for them. That's hard to accept. Of course, God desired that they got saved before then, but he's like, you know, it's just a short time. Death is fleeting. It's just a moment for you guys, and soon you'll be in heaven. But it's also because they hold fast to the truth. And again, we're seeing that in our own day and age. The truth is no longer cast aside. It's actively refuted, rejected, and like we just said, it's called hatred. That if you stand up for the truth at your workplace, you tell someone what you believe, believe me, I get nervous about that. Even talking about things that are just truthful that aren't necessarily about Jesus. Number two, for their testimony that Jesus had changed them, that they were in the world, but now they're not of it, that they were lost, they were broken, they were hurt, that the things they did were sin and they were slaves to it, and now they're free of it, and that they're truly enlightened and not obedient to the master of the world, but they're obedient to the true master, the true prince of peace, Jesus. Kill him. How can you say that? Our leader is... How can you believe that? That is bigotry. We've come together as a people. That's the future. And don't think that's not going to happen before the tribulation. It's going to happen. It is happening. It's just going to be the worst during the tribulation. And verse 10 says, these martyrs, the souls of them, that's interesting what John sees, the souls under the altar. You know, the church isn't already in heaven. These people weren't a part of the church, you know, the church age. They're believers, but the church was a separate entity, right? And in a sense, like, their soul is enclosed. They don't have this comfort. And they're like, God, when are you going to avenge us? And so they're comforted with what? They're comforted with a robe, and they're comforted with that the time will be over soon. That God is going to avenge their blood. That they're in heaven, not because they died of old age, but because they were martyred. And it's interesting is that Jesus may not save you in this life. You and I may be a martyr for him one day. That may be your ultimate destiny for him. And we should rejoice in that. I hope it's quick. I don't like the idea of torture. Can't even handle nails on chalkboard. <laughs> Let alone nails in my hands. You know, we saw a story about a South African Christian family who felt led to go to Afghanistan in the past decade. And the husband was given a Bible study and Muslims raided their home and killed him, the daughter, and the son. And the mom was the only one who survived. But she loves Jesus. You can tell she's hurt. You can tell she's, she knows where they are and that she's glad that they followed the Lord there. And Deuteronomy 32.35 says, Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamities at hand and the things that come hasten upon them. But the things that these people are doing, these persecutors, they are writing their own sentence. That they're giving their, they know that they're going to die personally, whether they believe it or not. They know their own destiny is death, and so they try and put it on someone else. But it's coming back on them. It's not karma. It's revenge of the Lord. But they're given a white robe, a covering of salvation for their souls, and they're to rest a little while longer. They have rest in heaven. I don't know what a little while longer means in heaven. How does that, again, how does that work with eternity and earth? Seal, you know, John sees five seals open in five minutes, right? But what is that? But there was a number to be completed, their fellow servants and their brethren. Remember that the church was raptured, but somehow these tribulation saints 
Perhaps they have a different role in heaven in eternity. I don't know. You know, uh, we can kind of look later when we look at the millennial kingdom, how some of this plays out. But they rejected God before the tribulation, before the tribulation, for the rapture. They accepted him after. So to get the kind of the same reward and the same status is, I know God is just and however it works out, it's going to work out. But obviously we see them in a different place than the church at this point. The church is worshiping and they're crying out for vengeance. But they do find comfort, again, in that they're covered up, that their vengeance will be completed, and that there's going to be an end to it, that the number of them will be done, that there is a set number. When it reaches that, that's it. Again, this is, I believe, you know, will we be so willing to be martyred for our faith? Would we stand up in a time like this that's even harder than ours? Uh, you know, again, persecution is that real litmus test. Are we churchgoers, guys, or are we believers? I think America largely, myself even time to time, is just a churchgoer. Are we Laodiceans? Or are we the Smyrnans? I think I know which you guys are. Uh, but let's go on in verse 12. I'm going to read 12 through 14. This is what this uh, sixth seal we're going to split in two. Uh, it says, I looked, and then he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. So again, John just keeps looking. He's got to look. He's got to look. He's got to look. And this time, the world starts falling apart. Politically, economically, every other way it was falling apart. And now the actual earth is falling apart. We see a great earthquake. If you, I don't know if you've seen in the news, now scientists, seismologists are, you know, they say, we're not worried, but if it's coming out, it means they are worried. <laughs> They're worried again about the big one in California, that there's been a lot of activity in the Southwest and San Andreas, that they're like, the likelihood has now gone up quite significantly of the big one in California. And again, they don't know, you know, you can't, no matter how smart we are, you, you know, you can't predict something like that. But, you know, there are signs that, that are worrying them, signs in the earth. The Yellowstone caldera, the big volcano that's under here all the way into the, uh, the Badlands and the, you know, part of the Great Plains, all this lava, magma is bubbling up, and they're worried that that's going to explode. I'm like, great, I left the East Coast. I, you know, if we get nuked, I'm not going to get nuked, but now I'm going to blow up with the lava goes. <laughs> Can't escape it. You know, in March, we even felt the largest earthquake from Idaho. It's at 5.6, 5.7. Uh, largest in 40 years. Like we talked about the other day, it was wild. But I believe that this earthquake is going to rattle the whole earth. That this is the earthquake of all earthquakes. And again, I don't think this is at the very beginning of the tribulation. I believe that this event is the very end of it. Uh, but just like the Romans raised Jerusalem, God is going to raise the whole earth. And he doesn't need an army to do it. He can just, boop, shake the earth, and everybody falls to their knees, whether they like it or not. And it's that John describes the sun becoming black like sackcloth of hair. And I don't know if the sun actually turns black. I don't know if the sky goes black. It's just what he sees, you know. I don't know if he and an angel on earth and they're in like some heavenly space time capsule and he gets to see all these things. You know, I don't know what his exact perspective is here. Um, but the sun goes black. 
And does the sun actually burn out? I don't know if you guys remember. I remember being a kid in the 80s, early 90s, and that was like the, the thing was like the sun was going to burn out. And maybe it's just my recollection of like an old Bud Light commercial that the sun burned out in the commercial, but the guy still had a flashlight and his six pack. So it's like, but that was the thing. But that's what, even what we're still scientists trying to figure out how long if it burns at this rate until it turns into, um, you know, uh, what's the next one? Red giant or whatever the next stage is when the sun burns and gravity changes. It is really kind of cool. But this is the very end. And at some point, Jesus is going to replace the sun in the new heavens and new earth. There's no need for the sun anymore. In fact, the whole universe is going to be burned up. Um, uh, but again, I believe this is a spiritual darkening. That this isn't just the sun burning out. The sun's probably going to have plenty of fuel left in it. And God's going to go and turn it off. He turned it on. He can turn it off. I brought you in this world and I can take you out, right? <laughs> but if you remember, what were some of the plagues in Egypt? Darkness. They could not see their hand in front of their face. And again, all these other things happen. We're going to read later about volcanoes and other stuff and meteors. So maybe stuff gets thrown in the sky. I don't know. But this is something that really happens. It says the moon like blood. And even now, there's so much hype over blood moons these days. The news, all the red, the red moon, it's a biblical prophecy. And they have no idea what they're talking about. Sometimes it's just pollution. But every time I see a red moon, I, I kind of wonder, is it going to get even redder? Uh-huh. You know? Uh, but again, we're looking to the, the heavens for our signs, right? Ash and I were outside on the porch last night before we went to bed looking at stars again. And Ash asked a question about uh, the zodiac and the constellations. And we had this, I kind of just went on this pastor's perspective rant on, you know, the way the Bible weaves all these things together. And I won't get into it because it'll take the rest of our time. But God put these things in the heavens as a sign for us, for practical signs to figure out what day it is, what month it is, what year it is, right? And we took it to a whole other level and read into it and everything. But now he's using it again. Say, look, I gave you these things, and now the, sun is like, the moon is like blood. If the sun's darkened like an eclipse, right, the moon does begin to change its color. But I think the most interesting part about this it's like annals before a storm uh, that were people talking about the apocalypse when it comes to coronavirus, uh, stock market, China, blood moon. We all start talking about the apocalypse. People aren't believers. Like we know that there's this storm coming and we begin to scurry around and wonder, is this the storm? But we refuse to believe to be saved from the storm. It's like we believe it, but we're unwilling to accept it. It says that the stars of heaven fell to earth like figs. In Isaiah 14, 12, you know, that's what a picture like shaking a tree and stuff falls. But these stars of there begin to fall to earth. And we do read about that later in the later judgments, that actually stars fall to earth. But Isaiah 14, 12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut to the ground, you are weak in the nations. Ezekiel 28 talks about his fall from heaven as well. That Satan and the angels are sometimes described as stars falling from heaven. And again, I'm not saying that this is necessary. you know, we're trying to understand eternity from time and the future from the past. But I almost feel like there's this whole relationship here between what happens in, Reve- what happens in Genesis and what happens in Revelation, right? I think there's some overlap. I think at least in significance and certainly in the signs of them. That Satan goes to and fro on the earth and reports to heaven in the time of Job, but he's ultimately cast out. You can't come back in now, Satan. It's over now. And there's definitely a lot to unpack there in a separate study we don't want to get caught up in. But even the very foundations of our universe are being shaken. 
Even the things that we looked up to and worshipped are being torn down. I got to say, I have power over all this. Even if aliens come to earth, you guys begin to worship them in this time. I got more power because they're not aliens. They're demons and I'm kicking them out of heaven. So we talk about stars, signs in heaven. Again, the time, you know, that these things are practical. But again, uh, what more fitting way for God to use one of the first things he gave us for times and seasons to rip them out to tell us that it's the last time, the last season. Again, time itself is almost like a specific place in eternity. We see the sky recedes like a scroll. We know this is what happens at the very end when Jesus is revealed. Um, you know, every eye will see him. That dimensions, the very dimensions we live in are being torn open. And G- how can the sky recede as a scroll? Fabric of space-time is going to rip open and God is going to come through it. But it also says that every mountain and island is moved out of its place. And that's exactly what happens at Jesus' return. And we still have... 15 some odd chapters of Revelation left. But Isaiah 43 through 5 says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Does John the Baptist light for us, right? Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord spoken and just like jesus stopped short in the temple or in the synagogue when he was uh reading about him being the one to preach liberty to captives he stopped short of the judgment verse now the judgment has happened it's almost as if john the baptist the rest of john the baptist's life verse is taking place that the hills and mountains everything made flat and made level and made even in the presence of god and let's go on and finish up here in the last couple minutes verse 15 says and the kings of the earth this is interesting the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his, for the great day of his wrath is come and who is able to stand? That everyone hides in the mountains in these days. Their kingdoms have fallen apart. The economy's gone. They don't just run and buy a house in the country. <laughs> They're running to the mountains and the hills. They're hiding in the caves and the old mines. They're crying out to the rocks and the cliffs. These people are absolutely terrified. Rich people, like we said, are building bunkers today. Bunkers in the 60s for nuclear war. Presidential bunkers. Safe rooms. You know, there's a seed vault in Norway or Iceland or something where they have all the seeds of every plant on the earth and it's far away from everything. You know, NORAD, the government's, uh, you know, radar and uh, nuclear defense is buried in a mountain, Cheyenne Mountain. You know, they're protected against nuclear weapons. You know, hiding in a mountain is a great way to, to, to hide from large destruction. But they know that they can't hide from it. And they know that it won't save them. And I, don't ask me why, but for some reason, this is one of my, these are some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I don't know why. I'm weird. God made me that way. But it says, again, I'll read it again. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now, these people, these rich people, these commanders, these slaves, there's going to still be slavery. There's still slavery today, guys, of all types. If his wrath has come, they know who it is. 
They know who the truth is. They know that it's his day of wrath. And yet they don't repent because they can't repent. They want to be hidden. They want to be killed from the wrath of the Lamb. It's almost like when the demons were in the, were in the different people in the Bible and Jesus showed up and they said, are you here to torment us? And they said, don't cast us into hell yet. Just let us go into the pigs. That they knew his wrath was coming. And they were like, is this the day of your wrath? Have you finally come to get us now? And it wasn't the time yet. And later on, we're going to see in uh, Revelation, there's a time when people literally want to die and they cannot. I think Pastor Chuck Smith has even talked about this. Like, Can you picture someone who wants to kill themselves and tries to kill themselves, various methods, and still walking around? So they'll make that show Walking Dead <laughs> in a different light. But we know that at that point, they've made their final choice. They can't repent because they've already chosen the Antichrist. They've taken the mark of the beast, and they've sealed their fate already before the day of wrath. They had a couple hours, they had a two-minute warning in history, and they chose to continue to stick with their own play. You know, again, this is the very end. Earth is shaken. God says, enough! And the whole earth changes, and these people cry out. These people are completely hardened. They're totally wicked. They don't even want to repent, like we said. They just want to be hidden from the wrath. This is not like us when we're deep in our sin and we're unrepentant. Jesus comes to us. A believer comes to us. We read the Bible. We know the truth. But we're so hardened by our sin. We choose. We, we don't want salvation. We just don't want the wrath. And I have to think that even in the people in the flood, at least some of them repented as the flood waters rose. As it began to drown, God, forgive me. I saw Noah. If they had a chance to, maybe, and they didn't have a chance to repent, I don't know. But God is just, and God is merciful. And these people had time too, but they, they chose. They made their choice, just like Satan and his angels. They chose. They saw God. They knew who God was, and they still chose. Say, I can ascend to the throne. Cast that out of heaven. I, have to, I feel like all this in some eternal way happens in some eternal instant and it like flushes out and in reality in a different way i don't you know it makes me think in interesting ways but these great men these rich men these commanders these slave and free what do they do they dig their own graves by hiding in the mountains and they cry for their own graves to bury them and let that not be us let us you know we're on the winning side i know we are i know all of us in this room are but this world that we're in has no idea that it's digging, digging its own graves they speak. They think that they're reaching some new form of enlightenment. They think that they've got something, the answers in socialism and whatever it is. But they're digging their own grave. So you see, anytime the socialists and communists take over, what do they get? They get a dictator who ends up turning and killing them. Just look at the 20th century. And they don't. And that's why they're repeating it. Because we've rejected the lamb. And we think we can get away without his wrath on us when we choose anyone but him to be our leader. And so let us be like Jesus to Lazarus who said, come forth out of your grave. Let us be like that to the world as we proclaim the truth. Whether we say it, come forth out of that, whatever you're in, or just proclaim the truth to them and then that they know that we give them opportunity. And that's all we can do. 
If they don't turn, if they cry for the rocks to fall on them from his wrath, that's not God's fault. That's not the believer's fault. That's not the church's fault. Even if the church failed and failed miserably, it's still their choice. They had every, you know, the world is so gone, all you need is a little bit of the truth and you have no excuse. And next time we'll look at the sealed of Israel, the great multitude, and then comes the seventh seal. And that's just the beginning. we got 14 more types of judgment coming. But God, we thank you that, Lord, we're free of your judgment, that on the cross you took all of judgment for all of sin, for all of us, for all eternity, Lord. And because of that, we're free of it. Although we totally deserve it, and although we should cry out for the rocks to fall on us, God, because we're unworthy, God, we get to hide in the cleft of the rock like Moses. We get to cling to the rock of Jesus. And you protect us and you wash over us. So God, come back soon. Take us out of this place as soon as possible. But until then, God, cover us and give us rest until the days are completed. And we pray for those who are being persecuted that you would strengthen them this morning, give them faith, and let their captors turn to you, God. We love you, God. Uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So may God bless you and keep you. And of course, his face shine upon you, even if the sun doesn't. There is a vineyard of the Lord There is a vineyard for our soul With all our troubles left behind And all we drink first light of